Many organizations say that employees are their greatest assets, but when push comes to shove, most senior leaders prioritize the customer above everything else. In this episode, how to improve the experience for both customers and employees. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 633. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Any leader has, of course, thought about the importance of the customer experience. Not only have we thought about it, but most of us have spent a lot of our careers helping our organizations to serve customers better. That is critically important in our work. And, and there's a big and here, how do we also ensure the employee experience is on par with that customer experience well? It's a both and, not an either or. Today, a conversation with an expert that's going to help us to look at how we can really drive growth in our organizations, not only through the customer experience, but also through the employee experience. I'm so glad to welcome Tiffany Bova to the show. She is the Global Customer Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce and the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Growth IQ. Over the past two decades, she has led large revenue-producing divisions at businesses ranging from startups to the Fortune 500. As a research fellow at Gartner, her cutting-edge insights helped Microsoft, Cisco, Salesforce, HP, IBM, Oracle, and many other prominent companies expand their market share and grow the revenues. She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 twice, and she's the host of the podcast, What's Next with Tiffany Bova. She is now the author of The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. Tiffany, what a pleasure to have you on. Dave, thank you for having me, and thank you for the kind introduction. I really enjoyed getting into the book and your research and thinking about this. And I could not help, as I got into it, thinking about what happened in our family about two weeks ago. Our kids pulled their money together and decided that they were going to order a toy from Amazon. And we went on to the website. It was a Saturday afternoon, late afternoon, I remember, because I was so amazed by it. And we ordered this toy. And we get the prompt from Amazon, would you like it delivered between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning, or would you like it delivered from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, less than 12 hours later? And of course, our kids get up early on the weekends, and so they decided they want the 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. delivery for free, by the way. (laughs) And I got to thinking about this like, wow, like the difference from when I was a kid to the process of going to purchase a toy. And now the customer experience is just incredible. And it's just been an environment of customer first for a while now, hasn't it? It has. And intentionally so. I mean, to your point, Amazon began with a, let me get it to you in two to four days. Oh, let me get it to you in one day. Let me get it to you next day. Then it's same day. And then it's within these particular hours. So this race for trying to keep up with these changing expectations of customers, by the way, not just you and I, but clearly also your kids, you know, the customer set has expanded. There's so many 
great stories about how parents will come home and there's 50 boxes at their front door because their kid hit buy now button, you know, on everything that they wanted, right? Trying to make it really, really easy. And, And it's paid dividends. Look, those brands that have focused heavily on delivering these amazing and memorable customer experiences continue to respond to what customers want but more importantly they they tend to grow faster than those that that don't do a good job there you write customer experience and employee experience are inextricably bound together you could say that in fact they share the same destiny Company managers and C-suite leaders can no longer continue to improve the quality of their customers' experience without an equivalent improvement in their employees' experience. What is different now about this that hasn't been true the last few decades? Well, it's been interesting. Look, I've been on this customer experience conversation, if you will, as a way to be a competitive differentiator since about, I'd say, maybe 2008. But I was really early in this thing called the World Wide Web. You know, I was leading an organization, sales marketing and customer service back in 2000. I was selling domain names in 1996. Like I've watched oh, wow. how technology has completely transformed the way companies sell, engage with customers, market, etc. We could go on and on and on. But as we kind of got into this new age of digital, customer experience became the focus. And I'll give you an example. If you go back 20 years, there was a time where it used to be like six or eight clicks on a website to buy something. And then ad agencies and those that were doing web design said, no, no, design thinking principles, let's apply them. Let's make it three clicks to buy something. And that kind of became the standard until the company we were just talking about came up with one click buy. And then that really changed it from there. But just let's sit on that for a second, that we went to three clicks. We were constantly driving towards improving this customer experience through a lens known as effort. So if we can reduce the effort for the customer, it will increase their experience, right? So 10 clicks to seven clicks to three clicks is reducing the effort, right? If there's a chat now button on the homepage, it's simpler than going and digging around and looking for contact us and where can I chat and who do I call, right? That kind of effort is not a good customer experience. But on the other side of that, what was happening was the effort for the employee was going up during that same effort of the effort for the customer going down. And you could say probably before 2000, they were a little bit more in lockstep, where if something changed for the customer, it tended to change for the employee. But when digital exploded and we started to, as you just rightfully mentioned, we saw businesses move from being product-led to being customer-led, experience was completely tied to that. As the disconnection between that customer and employee really started to show itself was in, well, what are the systems and tools that customers are using versus what are the systems and tools that employees are using? And how many clicks does it take for an employee to serve a customer versus how many clicks does it take the customer to open that ticket? We could just sit there for hours to talk about it. And that's where the crux of this the experience mindset really came from was how do we do better at making sure that when we make changes on behalf of the customer, we don't forget about the changes that need to be made for the employee. You write, the biggest threat facing business today seems to lie in workers' unhappiness. What's the threat? Well, I'd say that if nothing else, for all that was completely tragic and and awful about the pandemic, 
what came out of that in many ways was it cracked open the lack of these investments that had been made for employees for decades. And if you think about that, right, pushing people to work from home, put a spotlight on, they don't have the tools, right, to be able to do that unless they're in the building, in the office, in the cubicle, in front of that desktop that they're in front of all day. And Edelman had been doing a study for about a decade on what is the number one stakeholder for businesses to ensure sort of long-term success. And customer came out as number one for that decade. And then during the pandemic, employee actually clipped customer and became the number one stakeholder. And a lot of that was because of the great resignation, quiet quitting, whatever term you want to use about people being much more discerning about where they work, more importantly, why they work. I called it the great reflection. I didn't like the great resignation, right? People reflecting on, do I want to commute that way? Do I want to keep working for this boss or this company? Do I still align to the values of where I'm working? Do I like what I'm doing? You know, all of those questions is more reflective in my mind. And they were making decisions to leave. And so you'll see across all kinds of research and articles and books that talent is one of the number one things that executives are worried about not being able to recruit and retain talent? Do they have the right talent now? Do they have the right skills? And people are the heartbeat of business. So if you don't have people working there, what do you have, right? You have a skeleton of an idea, but unless people are there doing their work, you just don't have an opportunity to find success. So that's why that employee experience, that dissatisfaction has huge implications to an organization's ability to find people who are willing to do the work necessary to serve those customers and and really follow for the betterment of not only the business, but the communities by which they serve. So that's why if you have disengaged employees, it's just almost impossible to have a great customer experience because the fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love their job. Yeah. And there's so much of a both and here, right? The customer experience and the employee experience. And we were talking before this interview about, I was sharing, I think a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast really get that employee experience is important and just as important as customer experience. And you said, well, they think they do. <laughs> so there's a, maybe a bit of a disconnect there. What's the disconnect by from what a lot of leaders think and maybe what they do in practice? Yeah, we went out and did, we, we did actually three studies. The first one was US-based only. And it, we looked at publicly traded companies because we could get our hands on publicly available information. It's hard to do for private companies. So we could look at net promoter scores, CSAT scores. We could look at attrition rates, how many employees they had at the beginning of a quarter, at the end of a quarter. You know, We could just get our hands on that kind of data. And we plotted them on a two-by-two to see in that right-right part of the quadrant, those high-performing on EX and CX both had a 1.8 times greater growth rate, CAGR, compounded annual growth rate, than those who did not. And so for a billion-dollar brand, it was a $40 million impact. And if you're listening, you go, look, I'm a $5 million brand or a $3 million brand. You can do the math. It, it has meaningful impact to your ability to grow. And so that was sort of, okay, we're on to something, right? That many people, I'm not the first to say happy employees, happy customers, get those two things right. You grow the business. I, I for sure, I'm not the first to say it. But we were starting to actually prove this causation of if you have happier and more engaged employees, 
will it have greater impact on customer experience? And if those two things are working in harmony, do you get greater growth rates? Because it did well, the study did well, we said, okay, let's go look at this globally. And that's where we found the information that allowed me to answer that they think they are, right? So we went and asked, number one, who owns employee experience at your organization? And it was the middle, globally, it was the middle 70, it was like 76% of companies said nobody is owning employee experience. And then, you know, in conversations, I'd ask chief human resource officers or HR leaders, and I'd say, do you think you own employee experience? And the answer would always come back. I own pieces and parts of it. Some of the things you're talking about, like what tools they use, what systems, maybe even training because they may not own learning and development. I don't own those things. And so nobody owned it in totality. Yet if you asked who owns customer experience, there would be a chief customer officer or the chief marketing officer, like there was someone who owned it, with KPIs, right? And their compensation was tied to it. You could, you could see that through the organization. So the first one was nobody owned it. The second one was that they were surveying their customers and capturing data from those surveys. But a good 50, 55% of them did not know what to do with the data they were collecting, which meant they weren't doing anything with it. And so when you start to uncover, well, yes, of course, employee experience is important. And yes, of course, if we have happy employees, we're going to have happier customers. It's so painfully obvious, then why isn't everyone doing this better, right? This connection between the two. And that's really where we found the disconnect. So as we started to dig deeper, we were like, what are the most important aspects of employee experience that have the greatest impact on customer? So if you're listening to this and you're in HR, I want to be really clear here. I'm not an HR expert. I'm not a human capital expert. Like I don't watch that side of the business. This conversation is right at that moment that matters when an employee touches a customer in some way on a customer service call, in a sales call, marketing material, the packaging, the how to do something, the FAQs on the website, right? Anything that is developed by a human that works for the business, and then a customer consumes that in some way, it's at that moment that matters that I'm trying to improve. Not all things HR and not all things customer, just right there at that connection point. And that's where we really found that people don't have a good handle on what are those pieces and parts of the employee's experience that actually has the greatest impact on that customer satisfaction and engagement and experience so that you can get that flywheel effect of growth if both are working in a more balanced way. I'm thinking about what you just said, and I'm thinking about the organizations that I've been involved with and some of our members and listeners are involved with. And by and large, what you've just said is the experience. Everyone espouses employees are our most valuable asset and espouses the importance of the employee experience. But then when you get into the conversations of like, okay, who owns that? And what's what's critical about that? It's really different, the logistics around like how we've structured organizations around the customer experience versus that employee experience. It doesn't really match with what we espouse. And it's one of the reasons I really appreciate the invitation that you make in your work to think about this as like, yes, both are really important. And it's not just the what we espouse, it's actually what we do. And I'm curious, the organizations that have started to really do this better and think about this truly as a both and, what is it that they've done to do a better job of moving in that direction? So I'm going to go back to something you just said, and then I'll answer that question, that you are 100% correct. 
Many companies will say, of course, employees are our most important, and they'll use the word asset, yeah. right? which we could get into that terminology. <laughs> That's but, an interesting right? word too, right? Right. But then from the research, it actually showed that, yes, most say that. But when push comes to shove, customer always comes out on top. So you know that is where when we found those levers, one was trust. So here is, right? If you tell me employee is the most important, yet then you say to me, that, but yet we always are going to default to satisfy what the customer needs, regardless of the employee, then I don't believe what you're saying, right? As a leader, having C-suite alignment, like, so what the, is the C-suite focused on versus what are the people focused on? Do people understand how their roles at the company play a part in, right? The health and growth of the business and delivering strong and compelling customer experiences. So that alignment is important. Career development, people want to move up and it move up may not be, I want to be a CEO, but move up maybe like I become a lead or a manager, or I've done so well in one division that they've, I tapped me to be a high performing contributor. So they want me to move into another group and I learn an entirely new skill. And so I'm constantly challenged and I feel that I'm adding value and I, I am more satisfied and engaged to use the words we've been using thus far. But the area that was the greatest disconnect between what executives actually thought was happening in the organization and what employees actually thought was seamless technology. And so it was like, 54%, I think it's 54% of executives felt that the technology that they were providing is effective for their employees to do what they needed to collaborate and to do their job. Only 32% of employees agreed with that statement. Mm. And only 23% of customer-facing employees agreed with that statement. Oh, wow. So the greatest disconnect was C-suite thinks the tech they're providing is working just fine. And they could because it, they've spent hundreds of thousands or millions, and in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars on technology. So they just maybe make the assumption that it's working fine for the frontline employees. But the challenge is, is that most executives don't actually use that technology that employees actually have to use day to day. So they don't see the fact that it isn't very seamless. It isn't integrated. It doesn't have all the right information. It isn't easy to navigate or use, or they haven't been trained. Whatever the reason is, there is no getting around the fact that going back to what we were saying a few minutes ago, we've spent billions kind of globally on improving that customer experience. Yet employee applications and tools tends to be very productivity oriented, tracking oriented, functional oriented and not necessarily value-based from a make it easier for me to do my job so I can focus on the customer more versus spending 20 minutes to place an order or take a return or do a sale where it should take, because it only took the customer two minutes, right? It takes me 20, <laughs> like yeah. help me out a little bit. And so that's where I think there's just a huge opportunity for people to be better to and for their, their greatest right asset, if you will, is, is the employees. Yeah, I'm thinking back to what you said a few minutes ago of when you asked that question, and there's so many examples in your research of going and asking that question of like, who owns employee experience? And you don't often get a clear answer, and the HR person will say something like, well, I have the pieces of it. But I think then about what you just said especially thinking through the lens of technology. In most organizations, HR doesn't own technology, right? And so all of a sudden, you have this big disconnect on technology as far as employee experience, and you have the organization that is the most 
apparent in most organizations of perhaps owning that. And they're not doing the same thing. So this is really not just, it's not just about HR and it's not just about IT. It's, it's a mindset across the entire executive leadership that's critical here. Yeah. When I first started sharing the research, the feedback I got was kind of the following and in no particular order. And I said this a little bit ago that if it's so obvious, why isn't everybody doing it? Yeah. That, that was kind of one. Then very quickly behind that would be something like, okay, well, who owns it? And, and I, after speaking with a lot of people when I was sort of kind of thinking about writing this book, it was a, an amazing conversation with another Thinkers 50 member. And I, and I was, she pointed out to me that if you go down this, it's a, it's a land grab, power grab, new role, new seat at the executive table, budget, headcount kind of conversation. It's not that interesting. And I was like, huh, okay, tell me more, right? And that's where the mindset in the title actually came to be. Because I was like, you know what? You're right. Because it can't be that we advocate for a new role at the C-suite. It has to be that everybody starts to think differently. So then the following question after those two was then, okay, how do I action this? Because if nobody owns it, then nobody owns it, right? (laughs) And if nobody owns it, then nothing's happening. So it's kind of three legs to to the stool. One would be HR for obvious reasons. They may own learning and development. They are own hiring and onboarding. And those things were critical in, in some of our research that we we uncovered. And so there are pieces and parts. The technology that HR may invest in and may have decisions around would be things that were very HR oriented, right? Like what's your pay? I'm taking time off. I need healthcare, right? I'm signing up for 401ks. Those kinds of things HR tends to have huge influence over, but they don't necessarily have huge influence over what systems and tools is your customer service agent, salesperson, marketer using as an example, right? So you've got HR in it. And because of what I just said, you need IT in it, right? Because obvious. They're the ones that are really driving decisions in that particular category. And then third, I'd say whoever has customer experience, chief customer officer, chief marketing officer, whomever that may be. You know, I was part of the team at Gartner back in 2008 that made the prediction that the chief marketing officer was going to spend more on technology than the chief information officer. And everyone thought we were crazy when we made the prediction. But the reason we made it was not about tech. It was more about somebody owning that interaction digitally to drive better customer experience. And so it has to be whomever that is. And we fought hard, right, to get that person at the C-suite, sit at the table. The CMO was kind of under operations or maybe under somebody else. Now they have a seat to the CEO. So whomever that person is, the triangulation of that, and maybe a chief revenue officer or a head of sales, if you've got someone at that level, that is really the team that then has to say, when any of us make decisions that impact customer, and or impact employee, we are touching base, right? We are making sure that one doesn't have a huge unintended consequence to the other. And if you can just ask that one question, oh, okay, chief customer officer, you're changing something for the customer. IT will then go, okay, if you do that, it's going to add three more steps to the employees in order to satisfy what you've just promised to customers. And then somebody comes in and goes, well, that doesn't work. So can we fix it for the employee when we do this for the customer? Yes. And so that's where this richness starts to happen. And you don't have to worry about who owns it. It becomes right the mindset, if you're going to do something for one, that you look at the implications for the other. Caveat, huge asterisks. It will never be balanced. It will never be perfect 50-50. It will never always right go through that lens. 
The goal is that right now we're so over pivoted to customer. We have some grounds to make up on the employee side. And so if you start asking that question naturally over time, it will get more and more balanced. And then sometimes you will make a very specific decision that you will say, that's okay. It's going to be worse for constituent A or constituent B. We need to make this fix, but at least you're doing it intentionally. Yeah. And you're having the conversation and everyone's part of that conversation and knows you're making that choice intentionally. And as you've seen organizations, some of them, and you cite some in the book that have done this well, that that conversation, that dialogue, that intention between HR, IT, customer experience, what is the starting point that got them there where, like you said, it's not ever going to be perfect, but got them to a point where they're starting to have that kind of dialogue regularly? So unfortunately, metrics tend to drive behavior. <laughs> good yeah, or bad. Yeah, for sure. Right? And so I often ask, tell me the top five metrics you use right now for customer experience. And I start there. And so if you know, it tends to be, let's say, net promoter score, it, yeah, let's customer satisfaction score. So then I'd ask them, okay, are you using the corresponding ENPS or employee net promoter score? If you're doing NPS, are you doing ENPS? And if you start to see NPS go up, but ENPS go down, then you know that you're in this situation we just described. If NPS and ENPS tend to stay fairly connected, then you know you're doing a good job at that sort of mindset, right? If it's customer sat, what's employee sat? If, you're, if you've got customer journey maps done on how customers engage with you, do you have an employee journey map of matching? If a customer needs to do the step A, B, C, D to open a ticket and do something in customer service, What's the corresponding journey an employee would have to do to respond to that? If you're doing journey mapping for customer, are you doing it for employee? And I don't mean onboarding, right? I literally mean at that moment that matters that we were talking about. And so I start with like the KPIs and I see if they've got corresponding on employee side. That tends to tell me, are they even open and are they doing pieces and parts of what I'm talking about already? That is a win, right? Because now we can just be more intentional and thoughtful about creating an operating philosophy that is, if you do for one, let's make sure we pay attention to the other. That's a place to start. The second thing is, do they have advisory boards for customers? Very common, right? A customer advisory board. Do they have an employee advisory board and not around like employee resource groups? I don't mean like ERGs. I literally mean an employee advisory board. Let's just say about technology. Let's just pick that one. So you're going to do something to the employees about what tech they use at work. Has the employee advisory board given you feedback, right? Because many of the execs, as I said, don't use the tech. And so the employees don't have the final say, let's say, but you definitely want their input. And then the third thing I ask is, let tell me what the top handful of things were uncovered in your last employee survey and tell me what you did to course correct those. If you can answer those three, I can get a really good feel. And if you're listening and you want to do this, you could do it yourself, right? What are we tracking for customer versus what are we tracking for employee? Do we have an employee advisory board that is just focused on the day-to-day of the employee? And then the third, the last survey, have we surveyed? Did we survey? What did we capture and what did we do with it? That should start to uncover the fact that maybe you're not paying as close of attention to employee satisfaction and engagement and happiness, if you will, then you sh- then you should be. And as you said earlier on, that the business case for this is clear. So if the metrics are showing that customer experience and employee experience aren't matching up, 
we know there's a business impact from that. And if they are matching up and those indicators are in tandem, then we know conversely, there's also a really great outcome that's likely to happen from that. And so much of this comes back to the word we've said a few times in this conversation already, mindset, right? And there's an invitation you make in the book to move away from an expert's mindset and move towards a beginner's mindset. Tell me about that distinction. You know, for any of you who have been doing what you're doing for a while, especially if you lived through 2008 and you feel like you've been in an environment where people were tightening budgets and projects were delaying, right? And spending was slowing or getting money was more expensive. Here are all the things we're facing, facing now. You feel like, okay, I'm just going to reapply that playbook to what worked for me last time, this time. Or we tried this in the past, it didn't work, so I'm not going to try it again. Or our culture won't do that, or that's not the way we do things here. Those kinds of statements are very expert mindset oriented, meaning you're not willing to say, hold on a second, let me be a little more curious around what are my options here? What is it I don't understand? Let me go ask my people. I always use this, I use it at nauseum, but if you've ever watched the TV show Undercover Boss in the US, Oh um, yeah, it is a masterclass in kind of what not to do, because those leaders, first of all, they spend five minutes in the opening of the show putting on hair and makeup to disguise themselves, and I'm always like, it's such a waste of very expensive television because no one would recognize them anyway because they never leave their office. <laughs> because if they left their office, they might know the things that were actually happening in their storeroom, in their storefront, in their fast food organization, right? It, in, their, in the trucks that their drivers do, how they unload and load boxes, why they have high health insurance is because they have back injuries. The reason they have back injuries is because they don't provide back braces or lifts. Those kinds of things, like really you don't know that's going on in your business. Like kind of shame on you, Right get out, manage by wandering around and, and talk to your people. And it will, it's sort of the, are you a top-down or bottom-up organization, right? But I actually want you to be a frontline in organization. Like your frontline has the answers to a lot of the things that you're struggling with now. And you would have to have a beginner's mind to hear an idea from somebody in a call center or a sales rep or a marketing or a product manager or a project manager, right? Somebody may say like, this doesn't make sense. We should fix it. That someone on the other side of that hears it and fixes it. And what does that do? It shows trust. It builds more relationship and willingness between employee and employer that they care about me. They listen to my feedback. They do things to make my, my day better. I'm all in. I'm not going to quiet quit and I'm not going to resign because I feel like even when times are bad, I know in the end it will always get better because I trust my leaders are here to not only serve customers, but to make my day better as well. Though I just kind of rattled through that, but those are really easy examples of does your leadership team, does your peers, if you're a manager, if you're an individual contributor, you know, go and ask people, get more curious, give yourself time every day to ask, how could I do this better? How could we do this better? And the answer may not be correct, and that's okay. Like that's where the greatest learning happens. Like so many things in leadership, it's not about us, but it does start with us. The willingness to set aside 
what we know and what we feel like we're experts at and to ask that curious question. And so much of this, of course, comes back to mindset, Tiffany. Thank you so much for for illuminating this for us. And I think like once you get that mindset, then you can do something with it. And, you know, we've just scratched the surface of what's in the book. The book is really the how-to. Like once you're there and like, okay. I'm ready to make changes in my organization. I'm ready to think about the both and of customer experience and employee experience. The book is really the framework for exactly how to do that. So I hope folks, if that's if that's resonating with you, I hope you'll get the book to be your roadmap for where to begin. And Tiffany, I have one last question for you. As you've been doing this work over the last couple of years, you mentioned in the book, you've changed your mind on some things. I'm curious, like in the last couple of years, as you've written the book, continued your research, What's one thing that you've changed your mind on? Oh, by far, employee. Look, you know, it. I, Growth IQ, as you mentioned, became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It was translated in 11 languages. You know, she's done pretty well. And it was 10 paths to growth. The very first path was customer experience. And the opening line, I think, is customers are your true north. You live and die on the hill of your customer. And, and I think I had three or four sentences in the customer experience chapter around employee like of course you have your employees have to be happy to deliver this but i glossed right over it you know what i mean i like i gave it i did not give it its due if i could redo growth iq i would have added a growth path that was employee on its own but lo and behold i instead i wrote a whole book about it <laughs> so that was the way that was the way i may have coped it but but i would say that it, it wasn't that intuitively you know to what we've been saying i didn't know that you need one for the other but there just wasn't any research out there that connected the two in a way that kind of gave that insight into which parts of one has the greatest impact on the other. And so it has taken me down this talk about being curious. I knew nothing, right? Maybe I, you know, I knew very little, let's say. Now I know a little bit more, but every day and every time I have conversations with customers or, or companies or chief human resource officers or chief marketing officers or small businesses, and I'm having this conversation, the fact that the light bulbs are going off is that it, it, it is the right conversation right now. And I'm constantly learning from companies that are doing things so amazing that I can then share best practices, but also lessons learned on what didn't work and what used to work and no longer works. I mean, those are the golden nuggets that are just so valuable that I, I get to learn every day, right? With that beginner's mind, for sure, because I probably 50% of my time is the beginner's mind, right? The expert's mind is things that I've seen over time, but I am definitely in beginner's mind mode. Tiffany Bova is the author of The Experience Mindset, Changing the Way You Think About Growth. Tiffany, thank you so much for your work. Thank you, Dave, for having me. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I would recommend. One of them is episode 565, How to Discover What People Want. Tiziana Gasharo was my guest on that episode. We talked about her research into looking at how to uncover what is important to others. That is a question that often is in the back of the minds of most leaders of wishing that they knew the answer to what do the people in this organization want? Yes, sometimes people say out loud what they want, but what do they 
really want? How do you read behind what people are saying and also looking for what they're not saying? We got in lots of depth on that in episode 565 that may be helpful to you as well. Also helpful is the perspective from our friends at Gallup, episode 601 I'd recommend to you, Gallup's insights on addressing unhappiness. John Clifton, CEO of Gallup, was my guest on that episode. We talked about the data that Gallup has been collecting for many decades to help us to get insights into what's happening inside of our organizations and how can we provide the best experience for employees and other stakeholders. We looked at unhappiness in detail in episode 601, and what are some of the steps that you may take as a leader to address it. And then also, I'd recommend, of course, episode 612, How to Solve the Toughest Problems. Wendy Smith was my guest on that episode. We talked about her book on both and thinking. You heard a lot of echoes of that in this conversation. Oftentimes, when we think about these different categories of stakeholders and thoughts and people and possible answers, we think about them through the lens of either or. Is it the customer or is it the employee? You heard the invitation for a both and in this conversation of employees and customers. Many more invitations on how to move forward and begin to think about things through the lens of both and in that conversation as well. Episode 610 for that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. If you do that, it is going to give you access to the entire episode library, searchable by topic, since 2011. So you can track down what's most important to you right now. And it's also going to give you access to my interview and book notes as I am reading books of all of the authors who appear on the podcast. I am often highlighting, writing notes, and then I grab some of the best quotes that I think are most helpful for you, and I place them in a document along with all of my interview notes for almost every episode, including this conversation with Tiffany. If that is helpful to you, when you log into your free membership, just go over to the section that says interview and book notes, and you'll see all of the past notes database for you to get easy access. It's just one of the many benefits inside a free membership. And if you've been using it a bit already and you're looking for some more, I'd invite you to learn about Coaching for Leaders Plus. Sometimes people reach out and they ask me, when are you going to write a book? <laughs> well, there's no book on the horizon, but I am writing all the time. And my writing is not looking at often just one area of leadership. It's putting the integration together of all the different experts we hear on the show. If, if leadership was just about one thing, boy, it, it wouldn't be easy, but it would be simple, wouldn't it? But leadership is about so many things, as we've heard today. It's about the customer. It's about the employees. It's about all the other stakeholders. It's about conflict. It's about vision. It's about strategy and everything else that we're hearing about all the time on the podcast. In my monthly long-form articles that I'm writing, I am looking at bringing together all those different perspectives and providing you with some specific direction on one aspect of leadership that'll be helpful. If that monthly article would be helpful for you to receive along with the database of all the past articles, it's one of the benefits inside Coaching for Leaders Plus. To find out more, just go over to coachingforleaders.plus and you'll find more details. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you back this coming Monday. Take care.